want uh, your attention just for a little bit to talk about the shaping of our worldview. And again, at Crandall, we teach from uh, a worldview perspective that is Christian. And I just want to talk about that because I think it's relevant for all of us today as we think about the decisions we make. Even some of the phrases out of the songs today just spoke to me knowing in anticipation that I would speak on this today. Someone has written that a worldview is like a set of lenses which taint our vision or alter the way we perceive the world around us. There's a lot of things that affect our worldview, the way that we see things. It could be our education. It could be our upbringing. It could be culture, books, media. We're all making decisions every day. It's informing the way we look at life. So I think about the way that I was raised. I was raised in a Christian home with Christian parents. They instilled values into me, much like have been instilled into you or that you're instilling within your own family in your home context. It's all about worldview or the things that we read. You know, you think about the the food that goes in your mind, whether it's God's word or whether it's a magazine you read or the newspaper, whatever. All these things inform the way that we look at life. Everyone has formed a worldview based on the things that I've mentioned. Every day, people are placing their confidence in something, someone. We all have faith. We have faith in ourselves, maybe, about certain things. Oh, I have confidence that I can do that. We have faith in other people. People place faith in leadership. They place faith in their money, thinking that it can take them all the way, or education or employment. It's interesting, though, that those things are temporal. We need something that's an anchor, that is eternal, that will really see us through. So where do we turn? Well, in a word, we would turn to the scriptures. Where do we find an anchor, someplace to really bank on a worldview? It provides a foundation for what I would call a biblical or Christian worldview. So I want to lay that out for us today, very simply and straightforwardly, what I believe would be some of the tenets or some of the uh, uh, parts of a Christian worldview. So what is it? What would, how would we define a Christian worldview? It's a framework of ideas and beliefs through which a Christian individual, group, or culture interprets the world and interacts with it. Let's just break it down. What would we say about a biblical worldview? Well, first of all, we could say that absolute truth exists. Absolute truth exists. You know, we live in a culture where the messages are here and there. Well, just make it up for yourself. You know, what's true for you may not be true for me. So nobody can dictate what absolute truth is. So you just do your own thing. So the problem is, is that it's not just happening in the world around us. Sometimes that can happen in the church too. And so people have moved in their assessment of life. They've moved in their assessment of values because the culture has swept in and taken us and moved us. When the Bible says of itself that the word of God is truth, or Jesus says he is the truth, is that widely accepted today? I would say in the, in the wider culture around us, the answer would be no. So absolute truth exists. Secondly, we could say that the Bible is accurate in all of the principles that it teaches. Let me say today that if what I just read from the Holy Scriptures is not reliable, if it's not trustworthy, then why would we stand on it at all? You know, we have copies and, and translations and so on. We don't have the original autographs. We can't say, well, Moses signed that and I have it right in my hand or Paul signed that. But we do have early manuscripts. We have a lot of reliable data. So we know that the Gospels, for instance, are reliable as an example. They're accurate. We have principles that tie through from the Old Testament to the New Testament that reflect the heart and character of God. This is a book we can stand on. We can stake our life, our eternity on it. Number three, Satan's a real being. 
You know, we know from our own experience, from the world around us, that there is evil in the world and that there is a mastermind behind us. The Bible talks about an enemy of our souls. The Bible talks about Satan being a roaring lion, seeking to devour people. It speaks Actually, the word Satan means adversary. He's our enemy. There are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And then from a biblical worldview, we see how that makes sense. We know that it's not just good and evil, but there's a mastermind behind the presence of evil in the world. Number four, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good. Religion is man's effort, people's effort to get to God, doing things so that God would accept them, to get to a beneficial afterlife. But according to the biblical framework, God has a plan which centers in a person, his only begotten son, whereby he redeems those who are under a curse. His son, his only son, is the means whereby we're saved. Jesus said of himself, I'm the way. There's no other way. And so when people are confronted with the message of Christianity, they take Jesus on his terms or they don't. It's not like we can have a bit of this and a bit of that. He is the way or he is not. If there was no way to come objectively, how would we ever know if we had done enough good? When people imagine this kind of scale at the end of life, say, well, if I've done more good things than bad things, then I'm in. But nobody's ever seen the scale, and in fact, it doesn't exist, so they could never see it anyway. You know, when we look at other things like the way that the world celebrates Christmas or even Easter. Now, granted, there's a lot of commercialism in all of that, but even the, the fact of the season that we've just come through, it makes no sense if you don't come at it from this direction. Because if we were good enough, Jesus would have never had to come. He would have never had to die on a cross if people were good enough to make it there in the end anyway. So Christianity is not just a religious code. It's a relationship with the person of Christ. Number five, Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus, as a writer of Hebrews pens, was in every way tempted just as we are, yet he was without sin. He withstood all the tests of the evil one, and in doing so, he could go to the cross as a sinless substitute. He was a spotless lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. Number six, God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Folks, when life seems upside down, when your life is unpredictable or you're not sure what's coming next, you need to remember that God is good and God is in control. He's not distant or unknowing, as many people have come to say about him, that God doesn't know about what I'm going through, and he certainly doesn't care. If he cared, my life would be different. And as a believer this week, according to your worldview, you may sit at a coffee shop with someone who may say just that, or a relative or a friend. And this might be a message that you need to encourage you to be able to speak a word of truth and help and hope into their life. And so today I say those six statements as just simple background because I believe that people are asking some very serious questions about life. One is, is who am I? What is the purpose of this life? Another is, where am I? What's What's around me? What's the nature of this universe? What's wrong? How do I understand evil? And what's the remedy? You know, those are huge questions. And they're posed in classrooms, in high school settings, in university settings. People at the coffee shop who are sitting down and having serious conversations. I don't know where my life's headed. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this situation. You know, whether it's family or job or whatever. And people are making major decisions about their life for good or for ill because of the 
encouragement or lack thereof of the person that they're talking to or the counsel or the therapy that they're receiving, whatever. And so sometimes people are moving on with their life to get totally derailed because they're listening to someone whose worldview is way off the rails. And so we need anchors and we need, we need a place to land. I contend that the ultimate criterion for the Christian on how to judge a worldview is the scripture, as I said earlier. You know, if we start way back at the beginning, you know, just the first page, God in creation. If you go back to Genesis 1, you read that the earth is formless and empty. The spirit hovers over the waters. God says, let there be light. God commands it. Creation responds. God is all-powerful. He is all and overall. And Paul affirms that in this passage. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. By him, Jesus, all things were created. And in him, Jesus, all things hold together. It answers that question, where am I? Is there an answer for all that is around me? All of the questions, all of the magnificence. But there's another question too, the who am I question. And the Bible has an answer for that, which says that we're the crown of God's creation, made in God's image. You matter to God. You matter to other people. We're created for a purpose, to bring him glory, right back to the beginning of the word, living under his wise and loving rule. You know, human beings, whether they realize it or not, whether they accept it or not, are accountable to God. We're not just free to do as we please. We were brought into this world because of his good will and purpose. And before it's all over, we will stand before him and give an account of our life. You know, many people will say, and they've said to me, and they've said to you, perhaps, is that they can rule their own destiny, they can make their own choices. But it will be to their peril. Modern humanity would deem that they're a law unto themselves. But folks, I want to remind us today that we are under God's authority. The third question that was posed there is, what's wrong? I mean, what about all this mess that we're in? You know, even if people don't serve God as he's revealed in the Bible, people will run off after other gods. They will run off after idols. And so really there's this dividing line in life that we're either on his side or we're not. If we don't worship God, then we disobey him. And Paul makes reference to that with his audience. Verse 21, you were once alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. The fourth question, of course, that's raised here is, What's the remedy? How do I find hope in all of this? Is there any way out? And unless people are in denial, they can see the evil and trouble around them. Is there a way, a way of escape? Is there a way of hope? There's an unanswerable question in the scriptures, and that is this in the book of Hebrews. How can you escape if you neglect so great salvation? Paul affirms here what the Christians know to be true in verse 22. But he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. I want to affirm, even as you start a whole new chapter in your life, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This verse, verse 18, has been our theme verse at Crandall since its inception, that Jesus would have first place in all things, in all things he would have the supremacy. It's a desire that every student would come to know Christ and serve him as Lord of their life. That's your desire for your leadership here in this church. All of you together, you join together so that Christ would be glorified in your worship, in your living, in every part of your life. It's not that there's a slice of the pie that is church or that is God. He's everything. And so every decision that we make is part of this whole worldview, how we look at things based on the scripture. 
Paul's prayer for these believers, as it's recorded earlier in this first chapter, I think it ties in nicely with where I've been moving today. And earlier in chapter 1, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, the kingdom of light. I want to challenge us, I guess, with something as we think about praying for one another and sorting through these issues of worldview and how we are witnesses, salt and light for Christ this week, very practically, in our conversations. Maybe there's someone that you're praying for for just the right conversation. You're hoping that God will open a door. And maybe you're afraid that he'll open it. You don't, won't know what to say. Or you'll be afraid that when the door's open, you'll be afraid to walk through it. When we pray for one another, many times it's a quick one on the fly to say, Oh, Lord, bless them. And then I've, Oh, I prayed for you. You know, see them at church, pat on the back. I prayed for you this week. It might only have been as simple and as quick as that. Can we move into a deeper place where we're praying specifically for something meaningful in their life, like it's outlined in the scripture? And this isn't the only prayer in the New Testament, for instance, that Paul prays for churches or groups of believers. There are many models. You know, living as children of light in this 21st century is challenging. I mean, I'm not going to gloss it over and say it's, it's a cakewalk as soon as we walk out of this building, because it's not. Our world is becoming increasingly secular, but you know where the light shines brightest is in the darkness. And I pray that for this church, for all of us as individuals, that God would use us to be salt and light. I think we need to recommit ourselves as being agents of salt and light, ministers of reconciliation, working together to bring forgiveness, renewal, and healing to a world that is going astray. You know, our lives, as I said, are not split between sacred and secular but glorifying God in all things, proclaiming his lordship in every decision, every plan of our life, every conversation, every pursuit, every activity. As Paul wrote to the Romans, we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In the light of God's word, we need to rethink a lot of things and how we witness and how we share and how we are ambassadors for Christ. May Jesus have first place in our gatherings as the church, but also as we go out separately, individually, into the world. That through our words, through our attitudes, through our actions, we may draw others to the Savior in whom there is life and life eternal. I'd like to pray for you and with you as we close. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you and approach you with boldness, not in our own merits, but in the merits of another, our Savior Jesus. Thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life that no one can come to the Father except through him. I thank you for this church, for uh, the leadership, for the elders, and new pastor. I pray that your blessing might rest upon them as they cast vision for the future, as they work together, bring unity of spirit to them, to this whole congregation. May there be many, many who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may be believers uh, be rooted and strengthened in their faith. May this be a great lighthouse in this city of things that are um, uh, bring hope and life and peace. Lord, we know that there is a tall task for the church in this day, 
but we realize that there is so much need we can't miss. There's so many needs in this world, and we pray that we would go forth with a message of forgiveness and restoration in Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross, through the resurrection, uh, there is a way forward, and there is hope for the future. Continue to place upon our hearts uh, the need to represent you well, and may the doors open up. May this message uh, today just be what uh, people need for what is ahead, even the things that we don't know of yet. We'll be careful to thank you for it in Christ's name.